As you can see, we're in the middle of a series called The People of Mosaic. We began last week. It's for the month of November. We're taking a look this month at the collective impact that we can make as a local church when we give, when we serve, and when we love. And to help us with that, to sort of give us some, some vision in the middle of all that conversation, we've got a special guest today who's not really a guest, but really more of a longtime friend of our church. You're going to hear in a moment from Pastor Jim LaFoon. Uh, Jim is a part of the leadership team of Every Nation Churches. And ministries. We're a part of that global spiritual family called Every Nation. Uh, and Jim travels the world. He ministers globally to churches and people groups and countries and closed places where you never ever think a Christian or a person of faith can come into. And Jim is there. He's got a strong teaching gift, as you'll hear. He also got an incredibly strong prophetic gift. And God, the, the Holy Spirit speaks through him in unique ways. We had a special service here last night. Maybe you were here for that and, and saw that. And so we just affirm his gift, affirm that uh, that. Uh, that grace on his life. He's been instrumental in the life of this church, in my life, in my family's life, and we definitely would not be who we are without him. He and his wife, Kathy, have been married more than 40 years. They reside in Nashville, Tennessee, and they have many children of their own number they've adopted. And so he's got a big family, children who live all over the world doing incredible and dangerous things for Jesus. Grandchildren as well. I think one of his sons just had like yeah, like five kids under four. How about that? Triplets. Yes, how about that? So anyway, lots of redheaded grandchildren on the way and the, the, the best kind, right? So anyway, as far as he's concerned, would you guys please welcome today our friend and guest, Pastor Jim LaFoon. It's just always great to be here in Austin and no, I don't come for the food, but I do love it. It's like a paradise of barbecue and Tex-Mex and... Um, I've been in Texas a good while. I started with Morgan and Daniel Stevens. I think some of you probably know him. And we, we've been on a, we went on a church tour in Texas, which was an excuse for an eating tour. So anyway, we've had a great time. You look at Morgan's been a really bad influence on me. And I'm, I'm trying to try to eat less now that I'm away from him. Humor aside. Okay. I do love being in Austin and um, been coming here many years. I love Morgan and Carrie. I've known them since their college days, of course, three or four years ago. And, um, I have not been married 40 years, by the way, more over 40 years. That's 40 in June. Don't make me any older than I feel. Okay, all right. I do have eight grandchildren and multiple children. One of my sons has a five because they're the ones that have lived in the Syrian border for years and years and um, have seen just no hype, unbelievable numbers of precious Muslims touch for Christ. And, um, they, you know, so they had one and um, couldn't really have children naturally and that took a while. Then, the, and the doctor there, who's one of the great, wouldn't you know? You go to Syrian border, and an hour is one of the greatest IVF specialists in the world. Only God knows that. And so he said, "Let's just put three eggs in, so you'll get one." Well, they got three, and um, I went and saw them, and I was so thankful I was the grandfather, not the father. That's a lot of babies going around. <laughs> oh my God! This is like, it's like a feeding frenzy at the zoo or something. There's a lot of kids in there, and. Um, so, of course, they never had one naturally, never worried about it. And guess what? They had one naturally. So anyway, my newest granddaughter was born. And at, the, at that point, they had five, three and under. How many of you know that's a bunch? Okay. And, Lord, and I may come visit you in June. They're all coming to stay with me for five weeks in June. Jesus, help me. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so thankful to be here in Mosaic Church. Um, it's always like coming home for me to be here. Thankful for Morgan, God, for Carrie, just this whole tremendous team you've assembled here. And um, I pray you'd speak to us, Lord. Amen. 
Turn them into Isaiah, the 54th chapter. Um, I've, had, I've been preaching since I preached my first sermon at 17. I know I look 24. It's really not true. I'm 64. And um, so I've been preaching a good while. And I got in in the afternoon and was working on my message for this morning. And would you know, I came Sunday night and I was here. We were prophesying and ministering. And I, I felt kind of prodded of the Holy Spirit to go and stand in the back. As I did, I began to, God began to talk to me about the future of the church and, of course, changed my whole message. So um, I'm preaching to you out of open Bible um, with a few scribbles on it, basically. Um, but I know this is what God is saying to you. It's always a privilege to be able to speak for the Lord. So I'm going to call this message Enlarged, why uh, God's enlarging you. And when I stood back there last night, I saw another wave really two more waves of growth coming. And uh, one of the waves alone was in the hundreds. I don't want to be more specific than that. I don't see a time frame, but I can tell you, um, you'll be bursting at the seams again as you come into 2020. I appreciate your three services and um, all the work they are. It's not going to be enough. You know, everyone likes growth till you grow. And, um, you know, I want a growing family. Then you get one and you say, how did I ever pray that? And um, they're toddling everywhere. Are they ever going to grow up? Then they grow up and they're gone and you miss them every year or so. Just kidding. I miss them. All right. Now, um, so you're going to grow. And I want to basically put in words what the Holy Spirit showed me. And to do that, I'm going to use three passages of scripture. One is going to be out of Isaiah 54. One will be out of Isaiah 49. And one will be out of even a more mysterious book. Revelation, maybe the most mysterious chapter in that mysterious book, Revelation 12. And I'm going to talk to you about God's promise to grow what he builds. I'm going to talk to you then about where's the power come from? How can God put something together so impossible? Last, I'm going to talk about the problem that creates. And that's what we'll talk about together. Now, in the first two passage we'll talk about Isaiah 54 and 49 let me set the historical context um, these these passages were promises given at that time to the nation of Israel you remember that um, because of their own rebellion and sin Assyria gobbled up basically 11 tribes called Samaria at that time and then the Babylonian Empire came in I mean they were ethnically cleansed um, shattered forcibly deported basically eradicated and Isaiah looking into the future before this even happens like it was Isaiah that predicted there'd be a Persian king named Cyrus that would let them go home talk about accurate prophecies and he basically said you're going to be shattered and broken but in your greatest brokenness God's going to do his greatest things through you now we come into Isaiah 54 1 through 7 um, basically the analogy God is using here, and you see it in verse 6. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says God. Basically, this is in the context of a woman who married the love of her life, but they couldn't have children. Of course, in those days, there were no tests to figure out where the problem was, so he publicly divorces her and shames her forever. Um, In those days, to be divorced as a young woman for being infertile or the accusation of infertility, 
Your neighbor thought you were cursed of God. You must have sinned. And you were doomed to a life of shame. And that's the context of this passage. It says in verse 1, Single barren woman who didn't bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, You who've not been in labor. We know she's a type here. I work a lot in the Middle East. I know what those situations are still real. And must have been young, in love. The years went by with no children. She knew she was doomed. Husband had gotten more distant. The day came when she was publicly humiliated, divorced, shamed in the eyes of her parents and her whole family. That's the context where the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to begin to sing and worship even though you've never been in labor for I'm getting ready to give you more children than a married woman. Let's just raise your hand and realize that's impossible. He says, what you've given up on I'm going to come and do. Now, why does God use this analogy? You're going to find later the only reason he can, when you look at verse 5, is her maker is her husband. What is he saying? When your maker is your husband, when you're in relationship with God, nothing's impossible for you that's in his will. Then he tells her this, for the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of she who is married. Because of that, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stake in this thing. You're going to spread abroad to the right, to the left. Your offspring will possess nations and people desolate cities. Now, you understand he's telling a woman who's been chained. He's telling a woman with no natural hope of this being true, get a bigger tent. I want you to get a family tent. Now, just imagine, it made no sense. People are like, why is she getting a bigger tent for? Who's ever going to marry her? I want you to get a bigger tent. I want you, and understand, she's doing this by faith, not by sight. It hadn't happened yet. He said it's going to start in your worship, but your worship is going to affect your work. I want you to strengthen your stake. Let me tell you right now. God is getting ready to use a number of you and there's no history to see it. You may feel like, I mean, you know, I love being in this church. It's great. I love Pastor Morgan, the team. I try to give a little money and come. Forget all that. I want to tell you now by the Holy Spirit, God's getting ready to enlarge your capacity. You may have said, I've never led. Get ready. You may say, Jim, I've never made a disciple. I don't really invite folk to church. I've never led someone to Christ. Get ready. I hear the Holy Spirit saying, enlarge your heart right now. People say, why do churches stop growing? It's not about parking in the end. It's not about building size. It's not about the size of your classes, your parking lot, or your buildings. It's only about the size of our heart. And here's why. It's because when a church gets great community and they love being together, if they're not careful, their priority on having great community becomes greater than their priority on the Great Commission. And in some ways, the thing we create becomes our greatest obstacle to growing. 
Love one another. Love seeing one another. Love knowing one another. But I'm going to tell you by the Holy Spirit. Here's what I hear him saying. I need you to play for higher stakes here. I want to use you. I want to bless you. I want to touch you. Growth is fun until you get it. When you get it, you park farther and farther away. If it really grows, there's the fatal shuttles and you're shuttling from some remote parking lot like you're going on a trip to the airport for seven days. It'd be so much convenient to go somewhere else. But where you go to church is not like where you shop. It's not about convenience or price. It's about where God places you. You know, I was faithful to Sam's Club to lay at the stakes at Costco. I knew God was calling me to join a new church. But the same, that's not the way church works. It's not like every Sunday we look on Yelp, Mosaic Church, 20 liked it, 5 didn't. Whoa, look over here now. Man, look at that. They're only charging 7% tithe this week. No, it, it doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. That's not a biblical concept. God knows where you need to be. He places you where you have the best opportunity to grow his kingdom. Because I'll tell you this, he says, enlarge yourself right now. Get ready to serve more. Deepen your stakes. I'm getting ready to bring divine addition to this church. It really was really funny. I thought the Holy Spirit said, you might want to latch the back door. I said, why? He goes, I'm going to bring so many people, it's going to scare some folk off. too big no one knows me anymore can't see my friends all the time you have plenty of time to do that in heaven in fact even more of your friends might be in heaven if you'd get to work that's a thought isn't it listen to me beloved I'll talk more candidly in a moment but God's doing something here he's after something here He's, how he's brought together Hispanic Americans and African Americans and white Americans and Asian Americans and very few redheaded Americans, but I forgive you. Okay, just teasing you. Now listen to me. Why? The, the issue is not God blessing something. The issue is God building something he can bless. Even with his own son? At 12, he was the best the planet ever had seen. God hit him for 18 years. Didn't do bad in the three and a half. He did something, did he? God's going to increase you. Goes on to say, fear not, you'll not be ashamed. You'll not be confounded. You'll not be disgraced. If you'll forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, you'll remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord called you. You deserted, grieved. But I'm your husband. God's getting ready to use you. Yes to serve, yes to give. Small group life. Making a disciple. Inviting someone. What is God saying? If I can give more children to a barren woman who's not even married, what might I do through you? What might I do through you 
if you live by faith, not by sight. We spend so much of our life reacting because you have to hear by faith to proact. He's going to grow you. Last night, I saw, I felt a wave of precious Hispanics just swept in to the kingdom of God. Or this morning, pardon me. Last night, it was young people. God's going to increase you. You know something, beloved? That's why we're here. You're going to worship in heaven. You're going to be perfect in heaven. You're going to see a lot of your friends. It's going to be great. But here, we can do the one thing we can't do in heaven. We can see a man or woman's eternity altar touched. Same God told a barren woman, you'll have more children married to me than you would have ever had married in the natural because nothing's possible with me. You're born for a purpose. There's a reason to it. That's why some people feel so dissatisfied with their profession because the profession in the end cannot satisfy them unless it's built on their divine purpose. Here to do something. You really matter. Now, where's God get the power to do this? Look at Isaiah 49. How's this happen? Isaiah 49 is, Isaiah's looking to a day when they're going to be just decimated and shattered. And all of a sudden, God's going to bring them back to the land and they're going to begin to really grow. And they're not going to be able to figure out how it happened. No idea. No matter what you may think of the state of Israel, and I've been there, I've had kids that have worked there, don't think in your mind that God's done with Israel. Is it a perfect nation? No. Does it like evangelism? No. But has God had a series of promises to that country that are mind-boggling? Yes, he has. And if God did that under the old covenant, what might he do for you and I? Like, what might he do? And he begins to talk to them, and he says this. This is kind of mind-boggling. He says in verse uh, 18 of Isaiah 4, Lift up your eyes and look around and see. They're all gathering. They're coming to you. As I live, declares the Lord, I'm going to take them as an ornament and bind them on you as the bride does. There's going to be something unique that happens. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now it'll become too narrow for your inhabitants. In other words, out of your worst moment, you're going to look around and realize I'm adding people to you and they're going to begin to say it's too narrow. The children of your bereavement, that means the children of your childlessness, yet will say in your ears, building's too small, not enough parking, there's a room for us wanting to bring all of our friends. Make room. Your generation, they're going to come to our generation, my generation, and say, God has touched so many of us, there's just no room. God's so moved over our generation, Jim, there's not even room for us to meet. Then you'll say inside your heart, how were these kids born? Where'd they come from? I was bereaved, that means I was childless. I was barren, that means I didn't have the fertility to have a child. I was exiled and enslaved and taken away. I was put away and given up on. Who raised them? I was left alone. 
Where'd they come? What you find, it's impossible. And all of a sudden, these people who've been enslaved and broken, they come back into the land and a whole new generation come to go. We didn't bear them. We didn't raise them. Where have they come from? How'd God bring them? How did God bring in this generation to us? How did God add all these college students to us? How did it happen? Let me tell you, those of you who are more toward my generation, it's not many of you in this room. There's a few older. There's nothing like to cry of the next generation to awaken you. Old Elizabeth, up in her, who knows, 60s or 70s, long past menopause, she's pregnant. I don't even think the baby had even quickened yet. Mary, at probably around 14, pregnant with Messiah, comes into the house. The angel says, Elizabeth's pregnant, so Mary talks to her parents. She's, she gets in, she cries out, Elizabeth! It says, when Elizabeth heard the cry of the next generation, the baby quickened in her womb and was baptized in the Spirit. Listen to me. When God brings the generations together, it impacts both of them. I'm going to tell you this by the Spirit. God spent years dealing with multi-ethnicity. He's taken his time. That'll always be something God deals with, but you're getting ready to figure out the lessons of being multi-generational in a whole new way. You've wondered, like, where, have, where are all the students? Go, oh, God's taking his time here. He's building in a foundation of redeemed, reconciled people. And his next layer is not just going to be multi-ethnic. It's going to be starkly multi-generational. God's going to add young. You say, how does that happen? Like, these people were broken, exiled, shattered, in all of, at the time when they had nothing to offer, God brings all these young people. How did it happen? Well, verse 22 tells us, Thus saith the Lord God, I will lift up my hands to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples. You think, oh, what's that mean? That means God sends out his signal. It surprised some of you to know the biggest revivals in history didn't have Facebook. I know that's stunning. There was no social media in China when the bamboo curtain fell in 1949 with one million Christians. Was raised in the 70s with 100 million Christians. How did that happen? God sent out his signal. You say, I mean, if I'd have been God, I might have been able to think of a better place for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, God don't much know about marketing. Why not Rome? Why not Alexandria? How many of you know the star didn't do bad? God hangs a star over that which matters to him. Don't worry about making your star. You follow God, he'll hang one over you when you're ready. God Hang a star over this church and you'll see it. Why are they going to come? Yes, because it's a great church. But that's not the real reason. It's that God builds you to the place where he can trust you with what he wants to send. And if he could not have forged something 
deepen your ethnicity and in your identity. Yes, you're African-American, white American, you know, Hispanic American, Asian American. But your highest point of identity, as we know in Scripture, is not just our ethnicity. It's our Christianity that we're in Christ. Something's happened. Why does he do that? Because he's never going to trust you with this next generation who's typically been farther along than my generation until you get that, until you understand that. You will be engulfed with a young wave of kids. You will. People say the younger generation is the most unchurched generation in American history. More not even sure what they believe in. That's God's favorite. Better to believe almost nothing than the wrong thing. Let the Holy... God loves all that. Watch what he does. Then it says this. I'll send my signal and they'll bring your sons on their arms, your daughters. They'll carry on their... I'm going to send out myself, and parents just go bring their kids here. I'm going to send out my signal. You may think it's crude, but trust me, my signal is greater than Amazon. My signal is greater than Facebook. It's greater than Google. It's greater than any search engine. It's greater than thinking all the ways to work your way up so when they Google your church, they'll see that your name, ooh, there it's Mosaic Church. You and the other thousand Mosaic churches in America. It's a great name. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus was shaking nations long before Google search. I appreciate all that, but it's not where my dependency is. Kings will foster you. Queens, your nursing mothers. You look up and you see major players in the city, humbly serving, giving, loving. Then he asks a question. We'll skip it down to 24. Can prey be taken from the mighty? The captives of a tyrant be rescued. Can our society be gripped from the tyrannical things that are destroying it? I'm not talking about partisan politics. I'm not talking about isms. I'm not talking about, you know, how we see things and perceive things. I'm talking about a very real enemy who Paul says the God of this world blinds their eyes. The idols may change, the isms may change, but the enemy remains the same, working through philosophy, working through idolatry, working through pain to deceive people into rejecting Christ. Here's God's answer. For thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I'll contend with those who contend with you, I'll save your kids. How's it happen? God sends out a signal. Why is worship so important? You know, yo, why do you do the music you do? Let me just tell you like it is. Our highest priority is not giving you the music you like. You go, it's not? No. Our highest priority is giving the music God likes. Why? Because when God's presence shows up in a place, he's a lot more, he's a lot more powerful than we are. And he can draw people better than our music ever can. We want it to be singable, excellent. We're glad you like it. But I want to create an atmosphere where God's at home. Because when God's at home, he can make anyone else he chooses at home. It's why we worship. 
We need his presence. We want him here. We want him to send that signal out. We want him to draw men and women. He's worthy of all our praise, worthy of all our worship. Beloved, I grew up in the beaches of San Diego. Like, what's my music? I grew up with the Beatles and stuff. Honestly, I don't care what its style is. I've been a multi-ethnic Christian all my life. I sing all around the world. Sometimes I sing in language I don't even understand. Listen, I just want to please God when I come together. I just want to touch God's heart because he's worthy of all my praise, worthy of all my worship. Now, once God starts drawing people, that brings us to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, in case you're wondering, is a very strange passage of Scripture. Um, I'm not going to answer all your questions today. I'm not going to answer all my questions today. Um, You may be wondering... What do you think about end times, Jim? What do you think about the tribulation period? I'm what's called a pan-tribulationist. It'll all pan out. I just don't know how. Okay. (laughs) There's your big answer to your question. Okay. You know, I don't really contemplate all that too much. The disciples were staring up in heaven. The angel said, okay, get your eyes back on the earth. He'll come back, get to work. Honestly, I live every day like he's coming tomorrow. I live every day like he's coming in a thousand years. Revelation 12, it's uses one of the scripture's most powerful analogies of a pregnant woman. And many times when the church is growing or God's doing something, he's like pain came on them like a woman in labor. This is, so this is a very common, Jesus said, uh, you're, you know, I'm getting ready to die and be taken from him. You're going to feel like a woman having a baby. The pain is going to be terrible, but when you see what really happens and you hold the new baby of my purposes, you'll, you'll realize it. Now, so this, in this analogy, we've got this woman. She's a picture of Israel, picture of the church. Some say Mary, the people of God. She's crowned with the sun, feet on the moon, over the power of the enemy. But she's in transitional labor, crying out in pain. There are many of you women that understand that. I mean, crying out in pain, you know, panting thoughts crazy and then all of a sudden a seven-headed dragon sticks his head through the through the hospital room all seven heads ready to eat what he's being born how many of you know that's a bad moment and so we this announce what is god saying when you're birthing something significant at your most vulnerable moment when he's dealing with things the enemy is going to stick his head or his heads in to consume what threatens him and so then we, we see this, and all of a sudden, and most of your commentators will say, this is probably a picture of Christ being born. We find the child's taken up to heaven, resurrection. Then the enemy comes to persecute the church. God protects him. What's that mean for you and I? It means this. That when a church begins to threaten the enemy, when a church begins to birth something that was conceived by God in them, through his word, They've been willing to gestate through preaching and prayer and patience and putting things on the table. When it comes out of that gestation stage and they go into labor, you can preach about something, the enemy will open an eye, prophesy about it. He may kind of go talk about it. He don't even care. Pray about it, aggravates him. But when you do it, it's a different matter. The enemy comes down and then all of a sudden the, the baby's taken off. And then we have this cosmic battle in heaven. And it's crazy. I mean, you've got angels fighting, doing things. You've got Satan. 
Here's what's amazing in this story. God never gets off his throne. He just says, who is it, Michael? It's the devil again. Figured, said the God. Michael, throw the old boy out. I'm tired of it. Honestly, this isn't Mordor. We're not little hairy-footed hobbits just hoping the big devil of Mordor doesn't get us. Oh, my God, if I could just melt down the devil's power. No, 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 no. The devil's a created being. He's powerful, but he's nothing compared to God. So the good news is he's thrown out of heaven. The bad news is guess where he lands. That's the whole bad part. In fact, right in the Bible it says, rejoice, you heavens. He don't live there anymore. You on the earth, too bad, too sad. He's down with you and he's mad. Okay. The good news is God's so powerful, he doesn't have to fight the devil. The bad news is we do. Okay, now, the enemy comes down and it's interesting. It says this old serpent, the devil, Satan, came to deceive them. The word devil comes from the word slander. is an interesting word. Slander, deceive, accuse. Satan means adversary. And the same devil that tried to accuse us to God now comes down to the earth to accuse God to us, to accuse our brothers and sisters to us, to accuse our spouse to us, and to accuse us. And right when you were getting ready to threaten the enemy, he slips in with accusation He slips in with slander to separate us from God, those people that matter in our life and our spiritual family. His tactics never change. He's just good at them. And he'll slip into that hurt in you, that unresolved conflict. Oh, they don't see you anymore. Morgan's walked by you two different Sundays and, I mean, used to high-five you when the church was smaller, even hug you. Now he kind of half-nodded you. You don't belong anymore. You're probably not giving enough. I bet they checked the tithe records. By the way, he's too smart for that. He'll lie. Ah, oh, your spouse doesn't really respect you. Oh, your friends don't understand you. If you're getting that kind of attention, is the enemy realizes you're more important than you thought you were. He lies. He deceives. He comes to fracture. Ah, church is so big. You gotta just leave. They're never going to really understand you here. Aren't you just sick of this? Go somewhere they don't talk about things. Church isn't supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's not. Hmm, okay. A dirge in the Bible made folks really uncomfortable. That's a different story, though. Now, it says they overcame him by three things. Of course, they weren't just overcoming accusations. They were overcoming the fact that the enemy had accused them to the Roman government and they were being massacred. So they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and the fact that they love God more than their life. That means no matter how the enemy lies about who you are, the blood is the great equalizer. You're not righteous. God made me righteous. You're no good. Jesus said I'm good. You have no hope. God said he's the God of all hope. Righteousness changed my family, my status, everything. But the word of your testimony is one thing to battle on the inside. It's a whole nother matter to express the enemy's lies on the inside out of your mouth. I'm no good. I don't fit. This is no good. I don't like it. Be careful. Your tongue's the rudder. Your words will steer where you go when the storm of pain hits. And they've been practicing self-denial for a while. Beloved, your rights will trick you up. 
Paul said, I had lots of rights, right to get married, right to have a job, right to get paid for what I did. I gave them all up to help you. No human shouldn't try to take them from you, but God may require that you give some of them up. Jesus, how about the rights to be God? The rights to live up in heaven, not to hurt, to use divine powers to crush his enemies. Since they defeated him and God gave him two wings and as they worshipped and stayed in that word God caught him up and in the middle of all that hell he secured them and loved them and touched them. Let me summarize this in my last 30 seconds as Pastor Morgan starts coming up with me. This is God's promise. No matter what your story's like because I'm your husband there's nothing I can't do for you. Therefore enlarge your expectation enlarge what you think you can do I'm getting ready to stretch you, increase your stakes in this church. Ready or not, here it comes. How can this be? Because when God finds what he wants, he sends out an irresistible signal by his love and by his grace. And there's no company or corporation in the world that will capture it or ever will. Lastly, when the enemy comes to attack it, The reason he's so mad is he's losing. And if you're being attacked, and many of you are, it's because you've threatened the enemy more than you realize. Join me, Pastor Morgan. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the history they've made and the history they're going to make. Thank you for the next generation. I thank you for their multi-ethnic vision that they're living out. We embrace together everything you have for us, Lord.